Welcome everyone into the Hyper Time, the Hyper Time 2 podcast, and we are shaking off the rust, we are cleaning off the cobwebs from our little hiatus that we have going on here so the house isn't so dirty when we return full time, and we're doing an episode that I did not think we were going to have to do during this hiatus, um, but before we get into that, let me introduce you to my co-host, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? There are Pokemon cards everywhere. Everywhere. Do you have a favorite Pokemon card yet? Uh, I'm not sure if I ever had the card, but I did always like the way the Zapdos card looked. I don't know if I've seen the Zapdos card, but I always liked the Zapdos' design. Do you have a favorite Pokemon? Yes. And who would that be? Growlithe. Growlithe, ah, good old Growlithe. Well, uh, with uh, with Pokemon Shield, I keep forgetting its I keep forgetting its name, but the Corgi one, Lampert, I think. I have not played Sword and Shield, so I could not tell you the name. It is. It's not. It's not obviously not the same as the 3ds and DS ones, but I'm having I'm having a good time. Do you have a favorite starter of any of them? Oh, yeah, uh, Bulbasaur. There you go. There's my boy. Oh, Bulbasaur been my one since day one. We're on the same page, Alan. I like that. Well, we are going to talk... Uh, I don't even know a good segue from Pokemon into that. Um, I could put it on like some Lavender Town music behind this or something. But we are going to talk about something that happened two weeks ago. Um, for anyone who is not aware, the comic world lost probably one of the best artists to that had been working in John Paul Leon. And it's not something I was aware of in terms of his health being a problem even though apparently it has been a long-running thing, and it kind of explains kind of his workload over the years, and it makes a lot more sense because I always found his art pretty top-tier, and for it to not be as showcased as it was always kind of surprised me. And when I was going back and looking over all the stuff for this episode, I kind of realized why, and... Ultimately, that reason is what led to his passing. And so I wanted... I think when it happened, both you and I were on the same page because you asked in the chat if we were going to do an episode. And at that point, I had already started researching some of the stuff. Yeah, it's just like, hey, Josh, I, I assume we're going to do an episode on JPL. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sucks because kind of like as I was trying to look through everything... I, you know, it's hard not to do this and think about how we did Dwayne McDuffie's episodes because we spent an entire month discussing Dwayne McDuffie and I don't know if we could do that with JP because 
there's just nowhere near as much information out there that I could find about him, about, you know, where he came from and how he got into comics, you know, as detailed as Dwayne McDuffie, at least. Um, you know, he is, he seemed to be a very private person. He didn't do like a ton of interviews. And when you listen to his interviews, he seemed somewhat reserved and he, he seemed like someone who just kind of like, was very chill, just kind of stayed in his corner. He didn't like to, you know, go out there and put all eyes on him or anything. He just did what he did and he did it so damn well. And, you know, and that leads to kind of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is to make sure people like him and the work that they did did not get forget, did not get forgotten when there's just not a whole lot out there kind of public for everybody. Um, so this episode is probably not going to be very long because I could not find a whole lot about it, but I still wanted to take time to discuss him a little bit of his life, what he's done and ultimately the people around him that he helped influence or his friends and his impact. So before we get into any of that, did you want to say anything? Um, I didn't get a chance to see most of Sean Polion's art, mainly for on mainly saw it on static, mm-hmm. and then saw something on Twitter that was like all three of the creators of Static Shock passed have passed away mm-hmm. before the age. I've never had like never reached the age of fifty, and there's just something very sad about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen the exact same thing, and it's just one of those things you, like, it hits you, and you're like, God, that's right. Like, a character that was created back in the early 90s, like, none of those original people that were on those first few books is no longer living today. And they were taking far sooner than they should have been. It's it's a good reminder of how quickly life can just kind of slip away. But yeah, with John Paul, I mean, kind of like you said, static was probably the like number one thing I recognize him by. Um, I definitely remember some of his covers like on DMZ. Um, I never read Winterman, though I probably should. Um, and then I do remember some of the work he had done, like on challengers of the unknown in the late nineties. And, uh, Oh god, Earth X. God, how could I forget Earth X? And yeah, just I definitely have seen his stuff. I felt he was very similar to like I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong. I do it every freaking time. Uh David Mazzicelli. Mazzicelli. <laughs> there's something similar about like I uh think you got it right, Mazzicelli. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely like a similar style with them, even though I believe they kind of do it differently. Uh, John Paul is more of a like referential artist. I'm not sure if David is or not. Um, but especially with a lot of John Paul's earlier stuff, I felt like it is very similar kind of to the feel of what David was doing. Um, and, you know, both of those are like top of the line artists that <laughs> are very much deserve to be as recognized and loved as they are in the industry. And it's a shame that at least 
you know, one of them we're not going to see anymore. Well, I can't say that because there is still technically work coming from John Paul that will be released, but uh, we can uh, <laughs> talk about that a little later. Uh, actually, looking at his uh, his works, Mother pa- Mother Panic is actually one of the books I really wanted to check out during Young Animals Run. Oh, mm-hmm. and I think I have the trade, like the this the first trade at least. But yeah, like that is some great, great art. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's go ahead and kind of get into kind of where he came from, um, at least what I could find. So Jean-Paul Leon was born on April 26th, 1972 in New York City. He was the son of two Cuban immigrants. And as he was growing up, he found himself gravitated toward comics. He loved collecting them, reading them, and especially drawing them. Um, The love had basically always stayed there. He would do what I think a lot of us had done and kind of make our own comics, except I imagine his art was a lot better than, say, mine was when I was doing it. And he would get to the point where he would really start focusing that craft of his, um, especially in high school when he was living in Miami, Florida. And during that time, he would attend the New World School of the Arts. And this was a school where students could pick like one specific type of art that they could focus on. And so some would do dance, some would do music, some would do visual arts. But John Paul would attend this school, which I guess days were much longer than normal school days. And he would get proper training for his interest in drawing. And he said, like, this school would go so far as to bring in nude models for students to draw. And again, this was in high school, so just... Imagine like, you know, high schoolers having the chance to draw nude models, just walk in and do their thing. But during this time in high school, he even found his first published work. And this was done in the pages of the TSR Dungeons and Dragons magazines. But he also realized that during his time at the school that he felt like they didn't really appreciate his love of comics, and they weren't really pushing him to succeed in doing that. So he would have to eventually go on elsewhere to kind of get that support that he desperately needed um, to illustrate comics. And so this came at the end of the 80s when he was trying to decide exactly where to go for college and how to improve his skills. And so at this point, he was just thinking of all the different opportunities he could do. Should he do magazines? Should he do books? You know, he wanted as many options as he could before he dove in. Um, But the main thing he wanted to do was use his work to illustrate something with narrative. So from there, he would go to the New York City School of Visual Arts between 1990 and 1994. And if this sounds familiar, it's because it should. Uh, This was the same school that we noted back in our milestone episode where co-founder Michael Davis would teach there. And Jean-Paul was one of his students. 
John Paul would also major in illustration specifically, but did plenty of other things in the program, such as studio drawing, painting, and even took storytelling courses held by Will Eisner and Walter Simonson. And then while going to the School of Visual Arts, this is where he would start finding his way into professional comic work. Um, At 19, he found his way to drawing RoboCop Prime Suspect for Dark Horse Comics before he used that connection with Michael Davis to find his way into Milestone, where he would draw Static and then eventually Shadow Cabinet. His work on Static was during his junior year of college, and he was technically one of the original artists working under Milestone. And thankfully, uh, Walter Simonson allowed his work on Static to serve as his coursework during the semester, which seems like a really cool idea. Um, but during that time on Static, uh, he you know he got to work with Dwayne McDuffie, Robert Washington III, Sean Martinborough, and Steve Mitchell. And you know his work there between Static and Shadow Cabinet would help catch the attention of the other companies such as Marvel and DC that would eventually propel him to work with them. Um, so by the time he finished his time up there at the School of Visual Arts, 1994. He received his bachelor's degree in fine arts and found a career in comics. So from there, uh, DC and Marvel, this is when they took notice of John Paul after Milestone. Uh, Marvel was the first to really strike gold with him as they brought him on board to do series such as Logan, Path of the Warlord, and The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. However, it was his work on Earth-X with Jim Kruger and Alex Ross, that would become one of the staples of his career. Uh, DC would then bring him on board a little later, and he would touch kind of a number of things. You know, he might just do like an issue here and there, but he did find a little bit of a run during Challengers of the Unknown, uh, which is what they were doing during the like mid to late 90s, and he had a decent run there. And he would continue to kind of find work around the industry, whether it's Marvel or DC or Vertigo or whatever. Uh, but Warner Brothers would actually bring him in during the early 2000s to do work for them as well. He would provide style guides for DC properties when they were releasing films like Superman Returns, Batman Begins, Green Lantern, and The Dark Knight. Um, he even found time to illustrate a children's book based on the Superman Returns film called Superman Returns, Be a Hero. I have not seen that book. I am extremely tempted to go check that out. Though. I, I would as well, but there's the Kevin Spacey aroma. Yeah. And Brian Singer, I guess. Technically. I, I, oh, I didn't even think of Brian Singer. <laughs> Man, that's even worse. Oh, uh, Yeah. I'm going to just quickly Google this. I'm curious kind of what it looks like. Superman be a hero. Yep, that's uh, that's Brandon Routh. <laughs> Not seeing any like internal pages, but yeah. I don't know. I think that's pretty cool that he found work there. So he did kind of have some brief work with Vertigo as well. Um, with, you know, as we mentioned, the Wintermen and DMZ. It was actually Will Dennis... Um, editor at Vertigo, who he kind of found himself constantly working with. Um, Will is 
who we worked with during Winterman, and Will's the one who actually called him back on to become the cover artist for DMZ during their later part of the run. Um, he said that with DMZ, he didn't really know the creators or read much of the books, but the covers specifically of DMZ always caught his eye. Uh, he thought that the style in general made it stand out more compared to other books that were being released at the time. And he compared it to magazines or subway ad posters. And he greatly admired what uh, Brian Wood was doing with those covers. He also really enjoyed the idea of trying to pull off a similar appeal for the book using that sort of style. Um, so when he was brought to those books, he tried to do just that. And if you look at some of those later issues, I want to say some of them were like around the sixties, like issue sixties and stuff. They're fantastic covers. They're fantastic covers. And so, yeah, he would just continue to keep busy through the years. Um, though this would become difficult once his diagnosis would start coming in regarding his cancer. Then, you know, in those later years, he was finally able to finish Batman creature of the night written by Kurt Busiek and soon to be released Batman Catwoman special number one, uh, which I think is coming out in July, if I remember right, uh, which is a book written by Tom King and John Paul is supposed to illustrate a retelling of Catwoman's origin. I think this book is supposed to have like several stories within it. And John Paul is one of the illustrators doing one of the stories. Um, but as far as I know, that might be his last work. So look out for that. <laughs> Man, would have been great to see like, if like if the milestone relaunch hadn't been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, see him do like get have at least one page done mm -hmm. for the first uh, issue. Surely he has like some static covers or something held off on, right? You know how like creators can just come up with comic covers and yeah, like concepts. Yeah, and the cover, you know, and the company will just kind of hold off on them until you know <laughs> they need a cover to use, and they'll throw them out there. I wonder how many he possibly has out there that just haven't been used yet. It'd be nice to kind of see that still popping up, you know, five years from now or something, but who knows? I had kind of like a small list going. Um, this isn't everything, but I did want to make note of some of the books he had worked on. Um, some of them I had previously meant, you know, we actually, I think all of these we previously mentioned, you know, static, static shock, rebirth of the cool, Shadow Cabinet, Winterman, Earth X, Challengers of the Unknown, The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, Batman Creature of the Night, Mother Panic. Um, and then, and, you know. And oh, Superman sorry. Returns, be a hero. <laughs> Superman which, Returns, be a hero. Which I send you a um, in the chat. A, I found an uh, interior piece. Our interior. Oh, that is art. nice. Yeah. God. Such, so, such a good artist. I love that. But yeah, a lot of the times, especially in la the later years, is he did a lot of cover work just because that was easier for him to accomplish, uh, given kind of the uh, limited time he had to do stuff uh, based on just you know dealing with what he was dealing with. Um, so you can find stuff like DMZ, John Constantine, Hellblazer, uh, the Sheriff of Babylon, Convergent, Suicide Squad. Um, and then, of course, the books he had worked on as well, like Static Challenges of the Unknown, all that. But 
can't do this episode without talking about what took his life, and that was something that takes a lot of people's lives, and that is cancer. Um, so in 2008, uh, John Paul was diagnosed with cancer, specifically colorectal cancer. He went through the typical rigorous treatments from chemo, surgery, radiation, all that. In the summer of 2012, he received the news he was waiting for and that he was cancer-free. However, as some cancer patients may tell you, being told you're cancer-free is never a for sh- sure sign of longevity. Everyone knows it can come back, so you're always still on your toes, even once you get that good news. And that would be the case here as well, because he did find out he had cancer again. Uh, this time it was in his lungs, and this was technically the third time he had been given that news, and that was in January of 2018. Uh, a year later, he would begin chemo again, and it all seemed to be going well. His blood counts were stable, and sometimes they were even improving. And despite the process easily wearing a person down, he still found himself pretty mobile. He didn't seem to be lacking on energy. He still felt somewhat like a person. And this was a battle that he did for 14 years. 14 years of fighting cancer and... At the end of the day, he lost. He had a lot of victories along the way. I'm sure he felt great with each and every one of them. But on Sunday, May 2nd, at around 10 a.m., roughly a week after his 49th birthday, John Paul passed away, surrounded by his family and friends. You know, I don't know about Robert Washington III, but it is so weird how similar... With Dwayne McDuffie, that is. You know, how around his birthday. You know, I think Dwayne was, what, the day after his birthday? So. Something I like think that. So. You know, John Paul was, you know, less than a week. And how old was Dwayne? Oh, my God. Why am I blanking on it? Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. Dwayne was 49 as well. <laughs> so... It's just literally the day after his birthday, the day after his birthday, John Paul a week after both were the same age, you know, both founding members of milestone, essentially. I, yeah, it was very weird how, how that works out sometimes. And so like I did with Dwayne McDuffie, I wanted to put in some kind words from the other creators in the industry that he knew or, others that respected him and his work. Um, so I have a few of them here. Alan, I don't know if you want to read any of these or if you just want me to kind of. Uh, sure. Uh, which ones do you want me to, do you want me to start with? Uh, we can just kind of switch on and off. Do you want to start or would you like me to start? Uh, you can start. Okay. So the first one I have is from Jim Lee. Um, he says, one of the greatest artists of our generation, he was also one of the nicest and most talented creators one could be lucky enough to have met. So young and still creating the very best work of his career. I remain in awe of both his unrivaled draftsmanship and his stellar design work, both of which were simply unparalleled and technically just so precise and perfect. But what really made me a fan was how he still squeezed in every bit of emotion and life in every image he created. Uh, this next quote 
is from Tom King, who John Polion did covers for on Sheriff of Babylon. John Polion was a comic book humanist. He grounded the inherent absurdity of conveying myth and story through ink panels by insisting the emotional struggle of our lived experience be in every line, every picture. And he was a joy of a man, kind of funny to the end, R.I.P. If I remember right, Tom King also posted pictures of the work that John Paul had done for the Batman Catwoman special when he did this, just to be like, yo, look at how amazing this looks. Sadly, we're not going to see any more. <laughs> real bummer. Hey, it could be worse. It could, or it could be what it could have been a, a very absurd. It could have been like when the Avengers, the Avengers just league, uh, crossover fell through and Rob Liefeld bought the pages oh. <laughs> from George Perez. <sighs> I did not know that Alan, man. It just depressed me now. <laughs> Even more than this episode is already done. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, this one is from Mike Magnola. Uh, this one is like a punch in the gut, even though I didn't really know him. We met several times, and he was always super nice and such a great artist. Such a talent gone way too soon. Uh, this one's from Frank Thierry. Quote, truly heartbreaking. I was lucky enough to have worked with him on an issue of Weapon X, and always wished I'd get I would get the chance to work with him again. A true master taken way too young. R.I.P. Kurt Busick says, John Paul was an amazing talent, a wonderful collaborator, and a great guy. I was very lucky to be able to work with him on a big story. Sad that we won't get to do the little story we had in the works, and devastated that he's gone. Such a heartbreaking loss for his family and friends and for the medium of comics. What he's done will always be with us, though, and we can always treasure that. This next one's from Mitch Gerards, who was the interior artist on Sheriff of Babylon. Quote, the last time I spoke with John Paulion was a few short months ago. I think that last line will haunt me forever. Hopefully as a reminder to stay in touch with those who have touched my soul. JP mentions he was, he, is, he was a whiskey fan before the Gimo. Well, tonight I raised one for him. I forgot to send this to you. Now that we're getting to it, I, <laughs> there was, when he posted this Twitter thing, he posted the uh, screenshots of their message. And it was a base, they were basically talking about how once the whole COVID thing had passed, they needed to get together and have a drink together at wherever. And I, God, where was it? I'm just going to pull it up because he's right. Like that last line will definitely haunt him in a way. Um, where is it? Here it is. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Mitch says, I do know you can't go wrong with Hennessy. I use it in a few cocktails. And John Paul says, used to be a whiskey scotch guy till chemo. Yes, that seems like a sure bet. Thanks. And then Mitch says, can't wait to meet up again, John. And John says, I'll keep you in mind next time I need to make an old-fashioned. Me too. Will that day ever come? I'm not so sure. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, 
yeah, that day will not ever come, unfortunately. But uh, Chris Sotomayor, uh, he says, John Paul was humble, unassuming, and way more talented than he ever gave himself credit for. You always hear artists tell people to draw everything if you want to get good. That's what John Paul did. He'd spend all day drawing and then relax by drawing. Master of his craft. Uh, this next one is, is from Declan Shelby, who is a who is one of the best artists going right now. Quote, I'm devastated. My art hero, John Paul Dion, has passed away. I was lucky enough to meet, meet him a few times, and he was so sweet, so kind, considering all the ways you'd imagine artists of such skill and inspiration would be. My most sincere con- condolences to his family and friends. Yeah, there was a ton ton of artists and creators and stuff kind of saying their piece and some of that can be found in the source notes but really if you jump on Twitter or just Google it I'm sure you will find articles or the Twitter messages themselves saying it so if you need more words like that you'll you'll know how to find it uh, so I did want to bring in the GoFundMe for Jean-Paulion. Um, Jean-Paul would typically sell his art to keep funds for his 17-year-old daughter's future education. Uh, with this thought, his family thought it was best to set up a GoFundMe where proceeds would go towards that very thing as a trust fund, but also use some of that money to help cover costs associated with his passing. Um, the GoFundMe was created on May 2nd and managed by his fellow studio mates Tommy Lee Edwards and Bernard Chang. And when I was typing these notes on May 3rd, today is May 15th, the goal was originally $2,000, and it was surpassed. Um, On May 3rd, it was at $35,505. And now, right now, it is at $53,125. So it was quite a successful GoFundMe. Um, and I'm glad I'm glad he was able to get all that. Um, you know, I was kind of going through there. I donated $10 myself, but it was nice to see some of the other creators, like names pop up in there as well. Uh, some of them I saw were Cliff Chang, uh, Dustin Wynn, Jeff Parker, Jim Lee, Kelly Thompson, Sean Martinborough, Mark Wade, James Tinian IV, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, and even his former instructor, Walter Simonson. Um, so if you can, please donate. Um, it goes to a great cause. And at this point, there's probably no better way to say thank you to this man than to essentially donate to both you know, funeral costs, his family, um, and the future that his daughter has at her fingertips essentially. So, so I started to also go through seeing as he was such a great artist, I wanted to put in like little notes of ways to improve yourself as an artist that he had brought up. And then I quickly gave up because I'm like, just go listen to the man talk about what he does. As I said, he's very kind of reserved in interviews and stuff. If you bring up, like art process or just anything to do with him talking about what he does. 
he will go on and on. He loves talking about what he does. Like clearly that love of drawing is very apparent in those interviews. Um, so you, there's two in particular that I found. Uh, David Harper is the host of the off panel podcast and he will typically have different creators on there. And he did a, there's a written interview that you can find the source notes. And there's also an actual podcast. Um, it's episode 73, I believe. Um, that's also in the show notes. If you want to hear or, you know, read John Paul kind of just gushing about what it, his whole thing, please go read those. Um, I did not want to basically butcher his whole style and everything. Um, but I will at least put in a few of these notes here. He says, solve the hard storytelling problems as best as possible in the layout stage. It's not going to get any easier down the line. Uh, he says, you also can't wait around for inspiration. Just start working and hopefully inspiration will arrive at some point in the process. Uh, drawing from life will help prevent art from becoming formulaic. And he says that when speaking about artists and students who show him like penciled art at conventions, he specifically tells them to ink some stuff because inking will make your penciling better. So yeah, if you want to hear more from him, please go check out that podcast and interview. Um, I love listening to him talk about it because yeah, like I said, it's very clear. He loves doing what he did. I hate trying to talk in past tense because I don't really want to. Uh, so, um, yeah, I did find some kind of random trivia stuff here. Um, so, for instance, like pretty much all the artwork he had done from 2004, he has scans of basically everything. Um, I'm not sure if he kept anything prior to that, but afterwards he made sure he kept literally scans of every piece of art he had ever done. Uh, prior to his work on DMZ, he never really used color very often. However, when he became the regular cover artist there, he knew he had to start perfecting the use of coloring his work. So that's where he really started to bloom when it came to coloring, although he would decide based on what he was trying to accomplish with the art, whether it would be better served as black and white versus being colored. This is something I hope someone yelled at him about at some point. He said that he is incredibly critical about his work. Um, in his own words, he would oftentimes find his art boring, <laughs> which is not the word I would use for his art. But as I mentioned earlier, he is also a referential artist. He would get references for as many things as possible and as many references of each of those things so he could draw to perfection. His ultimate goal was that he would get to use it so much um, that he would get it right. And that he could essentially nail it without ever having a look at those references. Uh, he said as a kid, he would often go back to the covers just to look them over. Um, and he says, and quote, my favorite covers are the ones that not only grab me at first glance, but also stand up to scrutiny and evolve as you return to it while reading the story. You may start to see things you hadn't noticed before. He also really loved covers that could reflect part of the story being told inside, but he also really loved montage covers because he liked the challenge of finding references that he could then kind of link together on a cover um, and still find a way to make 
them all tell the story of what's going to happen inside. Uh, so you just kind of like that extra challenge of linking up different references together. As I mentioned, Batman Creature of the Night was a book he worked on by Kurt Busiek. Thanks, like Superman's secret identity, but for Batman. <laughs> um, it was a four-issue book that took a long time to be released um, that John Paul had illustrated. Um, uh, the first reference I could find to it was when it was teased to release back in 2012. Um, DC hadn't like announced it, so they were planning on taking their time with it. But just as it was announced, both John Paul and Kurt would end up having health problems at the same time. Um, I didn't see what Kurt Busiek's health problems were, um, but obviously John Paul's was the cancer. Um, so the work wouldn't be completed until they were both up to the task. Um, in John Paul's case, it was the spare time he could make it to the studio when he wasn't recovering. And so to give you an idea, he was finishing up pages on issue three back in 2015. And if I remember right, the book released in 2019. And so it was a very time consuming book, um, but I'm glad it did get released. Uh, while he claimed his influences were constantly changing, there were definitely names that would routinely be uttered when asked like who is influences were when it came to being an artist. Uh, Alex Toff, Robert Fawcett, uh, George Zaffino, uh, Walter Simonson, of course, and many more. Um, you can definitely kind of see the inspiration with some of them. Um, Tom King and John Paul were nominated for an Eisner for a story they did in Vertigo's uh, CMYK Black issue. Uh, the short story was called Black Death in America. I have not read that, but I kind of want to. And then the last thing I had was that John Paul always wanted to take a chance and write what he drew. And as far as I knew, that chance only came up during the Winterman Winter Special. Um, but it would have really been cool for him to have had a chance to do something more long form uh, before he had passed. And so it's a shame that that like that dream never came to reality. Um, but yeah, amazing artist taken way too soon, but luckily his art is still there for everyone to enjoy. Um, a lot of people don't get that luxury of having, you know, something out there for everyone in the world to enjoy for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, years from now, people can still go back and check the stuff out. So he may be gone, but he will not be forgotten. And I think he will always be remembered as a pretty fantastic artist. Um, but that that's all I have. I wish I had more. Um, but I take what I can get and unfortunately it wasn't, wasn't as much as I would hoping, but I, I like to think that any little bit of acknowledgement for this man is well-deserved. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we took an episode to talk about him because <laughs> we can't talk about everybody. But I'm glad I'm glad we got to talk about him. Um, Alan, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I'm just glad we were able to cover and this whole thing and inform people 
of Jean-Paul Leon, and hopefully people check out the like his, his works. Yep. Don't forget Batman Catwoman special number one in July. Yeah. Um, may very well be his last published work. So uh, check that out if you have a chance. that um we will continue on with our hiatus we had another idea planned for what we were going to do for our first episode until uh this happened um so alan at some point we're going to record that one and drop it probably next month um just so we have something else coming down the pipeline but yeah thank you all for listening I do what I do, you know, tell you all to do every <laughs> end of the podcast, rate, review, share with your friends, um, follow us on Twitter, talk to, you know, talk about us on Twitter or forums or whatever, just help get this podcast out there to other people. Um, I appreciate it. Alan appreciates it. And ideally maybe we're telling information about things that people don't know about. Um, don't forget to follow Hypertime to Podcast on Twitter at HypertimePod. Um, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us there. Or you can email us at Hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have other content um, more along the lines of video games. Um, so if you're into that kind of stuff, please check out VGU.tv. Um, or the VGU Twitter at VGU underscore TV. Um, we also have video game podcasts as well, such as Players Club podcast and Win, which is the weekend news. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. Please check us out there and subscribe. Uh, we Basically, stuff gets put on there every day or close to every day, right? Yeah, I've been trying to make, like, either make little mini LPs or just mini one-off videos. Yeah. I wish I could. I, I really wish I could uh, contribute more there every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, let's do this quick little video and I'll do a little video. But yeah, I feel like that is usually held up by typically you. Um, I think Emmett's got it. You know, his life is strange stuff that's been going on and, I don't know how much left he has of that, but it wraps up in about a week or two. Mm. And then Graydon's is taken over after that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, check out our YouTube, plenty of stuff going on there. And we always appreciate, uh, our content getting some love. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, it's essentially jmilly99, J-M-I-L-L-E-99. Alan, where all can they follow you at? They can follow me on Twitter at the Alan Muir. That's T-H-E-A-L-L-A-N-M-U-I-R. And is it time for... Alan's Tweet of the... Hiatus? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a simple one. I mentioned I was talking to Josh pre-recorded during the pre-show about this. I, t- I too have now fallen down the Pokemon card collecting addiction. 
And you, even even that tweet, you can see, tell that my, my mental state is off. <laughs> I feel like everyone's mental state when it comes to Pokemon cards, like, just recently in general, like, have been... I don't know. The fact that Pokemon cards have gotten so crazy weird recently... Like, oh, let's watch people open cards and hope for a shiny Charizard or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's really weird to kind of see that stuff on Twitter, especially when, like, the people who are doing it never touched that stuff before and haven't since then. It's I literally just <laughs> just refreshed Twitter and uh, Rena Reyes, formerly of, of Achievement Hunter. Just I just see Charizard two Charizards. <laughs> That's what Charizard Charizard GX and Charizard V Max. Guess what, Alan? That is something you should put on the YouTube channel when you get your. Uh... No, no, I don't want to be one of those one of those guys. I don't, don't want to be like the, the Paul brothers. Just like put on a mask, like a big Bulbasaur mask or something, and be like. Look what I got in the mail today. And you have to be like super obnoxious about it and make the thumbnail as brutally cringy as you can possibly make it. (laughs) Just be completely stupid about it. And somehow that would get like 14,000 likes and 36,000 views or something. (laughs) The video is just nothing. And then off screen, you can see a big box of Pokemon cards <laughs> making its way into focus. It's just like a pic- like a top-down view of your floor and it's just you like standing above it and you just dump out all the Pokemon cards and you just like take a room and kind of sweep them out so everything can be seen. And then you just hear you like over, you know, not, not even show you, just like you dubbed over going, ta-da! <laughs> and then the video ends. I did it, folks. I did it. It only cost $13,000. <laughs> No joke, I've thought about putting something on YouTube where I'm like, I like pretend to be one of those stupid, like, obnoxious YouTubers who's like constantly screaming because apparently it's funny if you yell loud enough and goofy enough, I guess. And just like, I don't know. I thought about just having fun with it and kind of mock them in a way. But I'm also too lazy and I don't really want to show my face on camera because I'm (laughs) I'm a little self-conscious, so... We all are. Yeah. Plus, I just don't have a setup for it. So, you know. <laughs> but with that, uh, let's go ahead and bid you all adieu. Uh, we will return during this hiatus before we come fully on back in, I think it was September, I think I had it noted for. Um, so until then, we will see you further down the hyper time. I hope you all take care and goodbye. This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.